Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4176 of The Bugle, the world's foremost source of ruthlessly inaccurate disinformation. I am, yet again, Andy Zaltzman, and it's the 11th of December 2020. Could this be the day that it is finally revealed that 2020 has been a hoax? A prank year, the first since 1848, of course, just to see the looks of the world's faces. We will let you know as soon as possible. I'm here in London, in the shed of Algrathia, speaking into the microphone of the Erkling Sklablerards, sat in the throne of the twelve Narconian Nids. I thought I'd try, try to tap into a Game of thrones type audience. Let's see uh, what that's done uh, to uh, audience numbers. No, not, not even a quiver on the dial, right? I'm going to have to take my top off then. Oh, oh. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, Yep. Right, and there you go. Oh, and suddenly people are tuning in. We are a simple species. Right, eyes up, everyone. Uh, Joining me for the Bugle this week, from Australia, the nation that, as we speak, post-Brecht Britannia, is lining up to emulate in every possible way our spiritual touchstone, our gradually becoming uninhabitable inspiration. It's Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back with my feet on the ground and, and my brain in this universe. <laughs> um, now, obviously, we're, look, we're looking here at, uh, and we'll touch on this later in the show, an Australian-style relationship with the EU. Tell us, oh great Australian, knower of all truths, what bounties await us with our embrace of anti-podiatricism? <laughs> Well, Andy, uh, there is a particular kind of bobby pin that I can get at one single shop uh, in the European Union, and I cannot get it here in Australia. So welcome to a world of frustration, a very specific set of needs for a very specific person, a.k.a. Why were we not told? Why were we not told apart from being told? Also joining us from the distant continent that is Europe, uh, from Dublin, Ireland to be specific. It's a big welcome back for the first time since he took a break from the Bugle to mastermind a global descent into uh, the ravages of a pandemic. Uh, it's uh, David O'Doherty. Hello, bonjour. Hello, bonjour. Uh, it's lovely to have you back. Uh, back well, on the you, How have you been? I'm all right. Well, you're a 2020 truther. That yeah. The whole thing could be a hoax. Yeah. I am a chess truther. Right. This is big. That okay. there's actually no rules to chess. <laughs> right. It's just people pretending while I'm in the room that it has rules. Right. And then when I leave, they just play drafts with the body shaped men. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, that is more. You've been watching plausible. the Queen's Gambit, have you? Yeah. But, Obviously but... not, because it's a hoax <laughs> TV show. It doesn't exist. So it's not that it's not the most implausible conspiracy theory we've uh, we've had this year. Uh, these are the questions that other shows are afraid to ask. Uh, but not here on the bugle. We'll get to the very bottom of this long-running fraud. <laughs> uh, we are recording on the 11th of December on Tuesday, the 15th. It will be 12 years to the day since the beginning and end of my midwifery career. Uh, happy birthday to the smaller of my two support acts that day. Uh, on this day in uh, 1936, uh, the abdication of King Edward VIII became effective, uh, brought about 
by his relationship with Wallace Simpson, whose stop-motion animation stroke cell animation name harbinged uh, an unbridgeable division, which she would soon bring uh, to the monarchy. It's uh, popularly assumed that uh, Edward VIII, or Eddie V, as his friends briefly called him, uh, had to hang up his crown and hand in his badge and his scepter because uh, Simpson was A, divorced, B, Catholic, C, American, and D, unable to feel a pee under 50 mattresses. But in fact... The reality is that a simple blood test on Simpson uh, found that she had insufficient levels of the hormones aristocrazine, antiplebeianide and britannicin, all of which have to be present in the bloodstream of uh, any member of firm Windsor. And, uh, well, there you go. It's amazing how history repeats itself, it turns out. Just uh, slightly the... too too high in the possibly a Nazi. That's just in the bloodstream, <laughs> just a little there. Yes, I mean, I mean, you know, some say it was a it was a rogue it was a rogue test, and really, there there isn't that much. Anyway, let's let's move on. Twelve. Uh, ironically, the wrong trousers was the grounds for his original divorce as well <laughs> to marry her. Um, on the twelfth of December, uh, it will be one hundred nineteen years since uh, Guglielmo Marconi received the first transatlantic radio signal. Uh, at Signal Hill in St John's, Newfoundland, he received uh, the letter S from a uh, transmitter in Cornwall, England. The uh, other three letters uh, of the uh, transmission never quite made it through, and a warning for humanity about what was going to unfold <laughs> over the next hundred years was lost. Uh, research in the 1980s from the Starship Institute of History about Marconi suggested that uh, the message was delayed and that Marconi had to wait for a long time alone in his special signal reception pod, uh, waiting for the historic message to come through, trying to kill time and keep himself awake, and that one of his assistants barged in and found, quotes Marconi playing with his mamba. Uh, this uh, research published, I believe, in a research paper in August 1985 in the form, as was traditional at the time, of a uh, pop rock song. Uh, see also the 1978 thesis Rasputin, the decline of Tsarism and the creation of a new 20th century Russian identity by Boris Niemovsky, or as he was popularly known, Bo Niem. Uh, as always, the section of the bugle is going straight in the in a week like this. I'm going to go off. Uh, uh, as always, the section is going in the bin. Reality is too painful. Um, uh, Disney has announced that Harrison Ford is going to return for a final movie of the Indiana Jones franchise, title still to be finalised for the ageing archaeologist. Uh, Rumours are that it's uh, going to be Indiana Jones and the high-risk demographic, uh, or uh, Indiana Jones and the nice cup of tea, or maybe even Indiana Jones returns priceless stolen artefacts to be properly displayed in their original context. Honestly, this is PC wokeism gone mad. Um but, uh, well, it's a very exciting time for the movie industry. They're also squeezing more eggs out of the Star Wars Golden Goose. Are they eggs that are coming out of that goose, Disney? Are you sure they're definitely eggs? And the Marvel franchise, well, more Marvel <laughs> movies uh, to fill the aching void in humanity's soul caused by an insufficient quantity of Marvel movies. Uh, but for this section of the bin, we look ahead at the big 2021 franchise film releases that will be underwhelming humanity across the planet next year, including 12 even angrier cyborgs, a long-awaited sequel uh, of the 1957 Sidney Lumet courtroom drama 12 Angry Men in which uh, time-travelling cyborgs try to overturn a historic miscarriage of justice, in which a boy was on trial for a crime he didn't commit by blowing up every courtroom on Earth. It is explosive, it's graphic, <laughs> it's sensational. No shot lasts longer than 0.3 seconds. It's filmed in 483 different locations, and it's totally incomprehensible. <laughs> bang, bang, kaboom. Just what the modern audience wants. Uh, also, Ocean's 330 million. 
a heist caper in which the entire population of America steals all the money from the US Treasury vaults through a cunning ruse involving spiralling national debt and short-term politics, waspishly satirical. Uh, Perts win the hut, that's a spin-off Star Wars pip squeezer following the second cousin once removed of Jabba the Hutt, who, yeah, 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 spaceships, yeah, 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 anthropomorphic aliens, yeah, 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 obvious ending. Uh, also coming out next year, the human millipede, unnecessary. The last temptation of Bieber, derivative and blasphemous. Field of nightmares, baseball zombies, been there, done it. A clockwork Satsuma, really, and penultimate of the Mohicans, unilluminating, even by Hollywood prequel standards. <laughs> that movie section, in the bin. <laughs> Top story this week, it's over. Not, not COVID, but the debate, if ever there was one, over which is the greatest country in the history of the universe, it's Britain. Uh, it's written because we, we Britain, we as a nation of all 65 plus million of us, we gathered around the National Water Cooler and approved a vaccine for use before anyone else in this world or the next, if you ignore Russia. Take that, rest of the world. Britain has won the race. The Russians don't count. It's not really a vaccine. They're just shooting vodka into people's eyeballs. We've won. We have won <laughs> 2020. Take it, you losers from Ireland and Australia. Uh, it turns out uh, that Greatest Nation was being judged only on First Nation to vaccinate an old man called William Shakespeare, which did happen this week. Um, <laughs> not on basic administrative competence, political effectiveness, lack of corruption in contracts to supply medical equipment or anything else you might think it might be judged on. Britain has won. How do you, uh, how do you guys take this, uh, this humiliating defeat for your respective countries? The rush to vaccinate William Shakespeare does possibly point to future vaccination of anyone who's got a vaguely iconic name <laughs> in England. Just from a national morale point of view, rumour has it that uh, Big Ben K, the former Leicester <laughs> second row, is going to be next. <laughs> Sean Bean, weirdly, the actor, because he is called Bean, and that is close to Mr Bean, who is <laughs> England's greatest living icon. Yep. Florence... There's a chance that Florence from Florence and the Machine, her surname could be Nightingale, so she will be vaccinated. <laughs> and then uh, Minnie Driver, obviously, because she's English, she's got Minnie in her name, and English people love driving. So she <laughs> will definitely be vaccinated. It's, it's, I mean, there's going to be a lot of debate now over the precise order that people are vaccinated in. I mean, that'll become one of the big arguments as we move into the new year. So the start is oldies, health carries, people who sound like icons, and then novelty musicians. That's in the very top group. Lucky I fall into that. Me and the ukulele orchestra of Great Britain are in there. Alice, I'm afraid, because you play a bon banjo, which is technically a non-novelty instrument, you will be in pot nine, which you will receive the vaccine in 2025. And pot nine includes satirists, ventriloquists, Hotel room towel origamists, origamists, don't know how to say that, and contestants on Naked Attraction. So. Right, but I'm in all four of those groups, so does that mean I get bumped up from Category 9 or not? <laughs> I can't wait to see your episode. It is sensational. Those prosthetics are worth every penny. Um, <laughs> I mean, Alice, this is... I mean, how's the the, the vaccine news? Obviously, in, in Australia, the only you know the, the only vaccine you need is uh, is you know Australianism. Uh, but, but I mean, how's the news news going down there? Oh, we're happy for you to have it. You need it. 
Uh, well, exactly. We yeah, I mean, this, this was the clever strategy. I, I mean, at last, someone is giving the British government credit. Thank you, Alice, because we cleverly manipulated ourselves to leave ourselves as one of the countries in most desperate need of a vaccine being rushed out by being world leaders in dealing shitly with the virus. So it, it has been a strategic masterstroke by the much maligned Johnson government. Look, we love the virus. It gives us the opportunity to fulfil our foreign policy uh, to the nth degree, which is anyone who tries to get in, we lock them up for an indefinite <laughs> period of time uh, in severe torment. Uh, I mean, for most Australian citizens, it's only two weeks, but it might be forever. And we like to keep that uncertainty going. <laughs> Uh, the thing about the um, virus that's kind of really striking is that rich nations apparently are hoarding 53% of the total stock of the most promising vaccines for what is 14% of the global population. And it, it looks like about 9 out of 10 people in poorer countries are going to miss out, according to the People's Vaccine Alliance, uh, which, you know... They are suggesting that whatever these corporations should be sharing the IP freely for the good of the planet, to which the gang of people known as corporations said, ha ha ha, we have adequately diffused responsibility within our corporate hierarchies so that no one needs to feel personally responsible for pulling the trigger on the hapless poor of the globe. The fictions of corporate ethics are a shield for our conscience. We are accountable only to the middle managers, and thus each of us is only a quarter going to hell. When the revolution comes, only my left leg will be against the wall, so suck it. <laughs> it was nice to have those that explained in in, uh, in clear and concise uh, terms. I mean, it must be you know, disappointing for the for, for the poor nations of the world, uh, David. Uh, another loss against against the rich nations. You can look at it that way, yeah. Or I can look forward to getting my sweet sweet vaccine shots. <laughs> and I think what I'm going to do is because it's, it's a two shot affair. So I think for my first one, I'll get Pfizer with just a twist of AstraZeneca. <laughs> just clean the glass with AstraZeneca. And then for uh, I'll get a dirty Moderna for the second one, which is just Moderna with a smushed up olive in it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And although we haven't ratified the vaccine yet, we weren't in that particular rush as you guys, Andy. Uh, I think it should be happening I mean, someone said we won't get it till June uh, is when uh, incredibly healthy, hot 44-year-olds like me will be in life. <laughs> AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford have pledged to provide 64% of their vaccines uh, to developing nations, poorer nations. But interestingly, Canada has bought enough to vaccinate its own population five times over, uh, which, according to Oxfam, which is just cutting through decades of Canadian PR about being the nice guys of the post-colonial alumni rowing team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't help if they're saying sorry while they're doing it. Oh, yeah, Alice, I think, you, I, again, I, I, think, I think we're misrepresenting Canada here. Clearly, they, they placed this order before the American election and they were legislating for 150 million Americans <laughs> to flood over the border. <laughs> on the twenty, you know, as soon as that result came out, had it come out the the, the other way, and, and of course it it could still, you know, it could. St I know some of those court cases aren't going tremendously well for uh, for Trump, but it just needs one vote to be proved to be bogus, and the whole thing will come collapse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but do you think, Alice? I think you've oversimplified it, saying you know, it's, it's rich nations versus poor nations. Oh, are we sure it's not just the cool nations getting it first, and the square nations have to wait? I mean, that's the way I see it as a Brit. We are, you know, as the coolest nation in the world. Or is it nations chosen by God are doing better than accidental, non-divinely appointed nations? 
I mean, it, it's hard to tell. No, it's uh, not. It's not hard to tell. It's well, I mean, you you try te- you you try telling that to uh, Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary of uh, of the United Kingdom, um, <laughs> who has provided confirmation of Britain's untouchable greatness this week. He is, of course, the earthly representative of the goddess Britannia and her <laughs> husband, uh, God, uh, Gavin Williamson, the uh, Secretary of State for Education. Those words don't make. Any more sense, the more often you say them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it does seem that he got the job as Secretary of State for Education based on the fact that he can relate to the attainment levels of a five-year-old who's managed to do a potato print picture without shitting themselves. And he basically told the world that the reason that Britain was the first to roll out immunisation was because we are a better country than other countries. That It makes us... It, it makes us... This is a man who is... A cabinet minister responsible for the futures of millions of children, all of whom, literally all of whom, would make a more convincing cabinet minister th- than him. Uh, it is, it's quite. It's, I mean, it is hard to take politics seriously. When I mean, you do Gavin have Williams the best of the best yeah. over there. Certainly, who could look with a dry eye on Matt Hancock? Yes. Appearing this week on Piers Morgan's wonderful <laughs> morning show, yeah. doing the worst fake crying I think <laughs> I have ever seen. I, I as... was so skint as a country that we couldn't even afford a fucking onion for him to keep in his pocket. <laughs> 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 so the thing about pretending to cry, if, uh, if you've done any like high school acting, is that part of pretending to cry is looking like you're trying not to cry, not looking like you're trying to cry <laughs> and failing. <laughs> And then immediately being able to talk normally, having got over the crying, maybe two (laughs) seconds after the fake crying. He was filled with emotion for Britain that this German financed vaccine created (laughs) by a Turkish German couple has potentially saved his government. And he even added in, certainly for William Shakespeare, just a little bit of gravy into that (laughs) syringe, a little bit of beautiful British gravy. I have pretended to cry more convincingly than that when I was trying to get my brother to come close enough to punch him in the head. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the big long-term effect of all of this will be me saying the word efficacy. Right. I mean, who knows going forward? People will come into my house, I'll be like, can you please take your coat off? You won't feel the efficacy of it when you go back out again. Just going to your stand-up comedy gigs and yeah. shouting at you. The efficacy of these jokes is unusually low. <laughs> <laughs> Brexit news now, and here we go again. Britain and Europe sitting on distant branches of the same already dead tree. F-I-A-L-I-N-G. Uh, after four and a half years of uh, what I believe political scientists call absolutely f***ing gutless uselessness by various British governments, accelerated by the Johnson regime since it took power a year ago, it seems that the inevitable has become inevitable. Um, a a no-deal Brexit, an Australian-style Brexit, looks uh, on uh, the cards. Uh, it does. It does basically seem 
that Britain and Europe are going to slam each other into the gravel traps of this unnecessary economic motor race and then wander off gesticulating wildly in the other's direction whilst refusing <laughs> to accept any responsibility for their role in the crash. And, I mean, yes, the British team not only forced the race to take place and selected unqualified mechanics and a driver who'd only ever ridden a pedal tricycle before and then veered unpredictably all over the place, shunting the EU car off the track. But why was that EU car not letting us drive exactly where we wanted to drive, the cheating bastards? <laughs> David, as a uh, as a as a member of the EU, as you still are um, in Ireland, what's your I mean, what's your take on uh, on Britain's um, I don't know, basically f- floundering our way towards uh, independence? Well, Andy, I think we can all see that it's it's certainly crunch time in the Brexit talks. In the same way that it's sofa sale time at my local branch of non-stop bonkers sofa clearance 24-hour <laughs> warehouse crazy deals. And, I mean, personally, I just find it amazing to think that Brexit, which started as a one-hour stage show at the 2014 Edinburgh Fringe, has got this big. A lot of people fail to remember what Brexit is is i think the word has become so ubiquitous so just to remind you that brexit is standing on the roof of your own home calling all of the neighbors pricks and then not moving just continuing to live there with a horrible vibe forever (laughs) (laughs) and it's hard to tell whether boris i mean does he want to deal or is he just pretending because his father never hugged him but, oh, to be a fly on the wall at him and Ursula von der Leyen's Last Supper in Brussels on Wednesday. And by a fly, I mean a fly covered in an explosive laxative that is constantly <laughs> dive-bombing into Boris's weird gravy soup. <laughs> I think that might be image of the year. Um, I mean, it's... There's a number of things being said about Brexit. I think we have to re- reassess. There's been talk of wanting to have a, a cake and eat it Brexit. I, I think what we're heading for now is a chuck your cake in the bin and still somehow be poisoned by it Brexit. Um, <laughs> and I, I myself have compared it previously to being a bit like you know Thelma, Thelma and Louise and the government saying you know we'll be Thelma, you be Louise, let's f-ing do this thing. But it's not it's not quite turned out that way. I think it's more like Thelma and Louise if they'd accelerated the car off course by the cliff, crashed into a a tree at high speed, crawled bleeding out of the smouldering wreckage of the car, only to have the car then roll back over them and the tree fall on top of them before the cliff edge collapses underneath them and they tumble onto the rocks below where the decaying remains are then picked at by vultures and scavengers (laughs) until all that is left are an array of rib bones spelling out the word why. Uh, I think that's how it's it's turned out. It's been uh, fascinating to see... Who's been applying for Irish passports? I mean, that's been a long-running thing. What companies are moving to Ireland to avail of uh, EU rules? Jake Rees-Mogg's investment fund, of course. Er- <laughs> and then more recently, uh, Percy Pig from the Marks and Spencer uh, Gums. Right. He's moved. He's married to Peppa Pig, and they have really? just moved to just outside Cork. Right. Uh, key British <laughs> icons, Sir Killalot. <laughs> is apparently moving to Galway City and uh, Snap and Pop from Snap, Crackle and Pop are moving to Ireland, which will just leave Crackle in England. <laughs> and the breakfast cereal will just be called Crackle from then on. You'll open it and it just explodes in your face. So <laughs> take that, you stupid Brits. Like a breakfast metaphor. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to go into too many details about the negotiations because, you know, I'm British, it's Brexit, details, schmetails and all that. Um, I mean, it's interesting that George Osborne, who long, longer-term buglers may remember as the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, uh, said, uh, wrote this this week. He said, the Brexit frog has been truly boiled. Now, I mean, let's ignore <laughs> for the fact that he was one of the ones dressed up in a witch's outfit chanting Chuck Little Hop in a hot pot <laughs> just to see what he does. But I think there is more to successful witchcraft than mere frog boiling. Believe me, I, I know. And it, <laughs> it's... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's very hard to, to to look on this with any any sense of, uh, of hope, optimism. Even even as the proven greatest nation uh, in in the world, the government keeps saying oh, this deal must be compatible with our sovereignty, which would hold a bit more water if that government hadn't been aggressively defecating all over the concept of sovereignty for the past twelve months. Yeah, Andy, not only do I feel like I've made all of the jokes about Brexit, I feel like I've made all of the jokes about how I have no more jokes to make about Brexit. <laughs> but look, I, it's not that I don't understand why you might mistrust the EU or why you might dislike the bureaucracy of the EU, but it's like it's like saying at some point we should stop the car and then everyone else in the car leaping out of the car while you're still driving on the highway. This is the worst <laughs> possible way to achieve what is an arguable goal. It's, you can have a reasonable argument about it, but this is not a reasonable argument. This is somebody coming in and just smashing your favourite vase and saying, I don't like the way you sleep. I, I, I'm not. At what point are Remainers allowed to, I'm not going to say gloat, uh, but at what part, at point are the re- uh, Remainers allowed to say, I told you so? Uh, after all of this, you know, we're never going to drop out without a deal. No deal isn't on the table. Oh, by the way, we're not doing a deal. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, there have been quite a few articles about, I mean, in fact, several articles blaming Remainers for the failure of of the, the, the negotiations, which is... I mean, really, that is just another symptom of the echoing bullshittery of the past five years rebounding cacophonously off the cold, hard arse of reality. Um, I, think the, uh, I think the point at which the Leavers may realise this was a terrible idea was this week the head of Tesco said there may be a shortage of cheese. Oh, God. <laughs> In the weeks following a hard Brexit, it might just be cheddar. And could that be the moment... When those leavers try to have their beloved fondues and just end up twatting meat into a solid block of British nuclear winter cheddar. <laughs> Crap, monsieur. Not, not with Gruyere, just cheese. Just put lasagna. Are you joking? We will just have cheese on pasta. Wait, there's no pasta. Just cheese, please. <laughs> well, I mean, th- this to me was symptomatic of the divisiveness of, of the debate. This headline that, you know, Tesco saying Brexit could see people choose cheddar over brie. Why is this being presented as an either or choice? I mean, I mean, also, why are we going for the hard cheese option, which is an expression meaning bad luck, uh, luck being something that sort of happens out of your control? This is not really bad. This is, not, this is bad luck in the same way that it's bad luck to lose the Wimbledon final if on the first point you douse yourself in petrol and set yourself on fire. Um, and also, why are, we, why, are we going for, why are we not opting for a British brie or another British soft-ripened cheese option rather than going way over the top and abandoning soft cheese altogether just to make a point that doesn't need making? I like my cheese like I like my Brexit, hard and, and slathered in an aggressively vinegary pickle and crumbling and absolutely crackers. 
In Australia, it's interesting you say hard cheese. We say tough titties, which is uh, any woman who's breastfed for more than six months. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in, in some ways, that's the, that's the cow's equivalent of hard cheese, I guess. <laughs> Alice, you also say witches' hats for road cones, so let's not take yes. your nature or your country too seriously. That is preposterous. Brings a Halloween vibe to roadworks. I didn't know they were called anything but until I went to the UK. <laughs> we are heading for this so-called Australian option in which we trade as if we're 10,000 miles away uh, rather than a Canadian option in which we trade as if we'd rather be outside wrestling a moose or playing ice hockey. And let's not forget, I mean, what has been said in the past, uh, Liam Fox, former uh, Tory cabinet minister, said this would be the e- easiest trade deal in history. Boris Johnson said there is no plan for no deal because we're going to get a great deal. Michael Gove, the day after we vote to leave, we hold all the cards and we can choose the path we want. The oven, the oven ready deal. I mean, presumably you think everyone involved is on the verge of resigning after this catastrophic failure to deliver what they said was an absolute Sunday afternoon piece of cakewalk in the park whilst pushing over a child's play picnic. But um, unfortunately, this whole thing has turned out to be the wrong kind of no brainer. Well, former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, when he was told that uh, Britain was going to go for the Australian option in regards to its relationship with the EU, said, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) (laughs) Australia's relationship with the EU is not one, from a trade point of view, that Britain would want. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely easier to be right wing. I mean, this is something that I realised at a young age. When I was 14, I remember in my junior certificate state French oral exam. I understood we were going to be talking about uh, l'environnement. And then I go in and the invigilator starts asking me questions about unemployment and I've got nothing. So I just fall back on the simplest vocab, which is all very right wing. She's like, what would you do with uh, the unemployed? And I say, put them in prison. It's very, (laughs) very, throw them dans le Bastille, por favor. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the environment, or as the French call it, les surroundings. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, we will uh, continue to follow this uh, story as it unfolds over the next uh, 50 to 100 years. Um, uh, with the referendum uh, running total tantalisingly poised at uh, one all, with 50 years of the match still to play, this could be a, a real thriller over the next half a century. <laughs> Aliens news now, and we are not alone. It turns out uh, proof has been provided by a former Israeli space security chief. Uh, Alice, you are our um, uh, bugle correspondent for communicating with uh, alien life and other dimensions, uh, of course. Uh, bring us up to date with, uh, with what's, been, uh, what's been going on. Well, proof has been provided if you consider the ramblings of an 87-year-old retired professor proof. But Yes, uh, we do. It's 2020. Well, he... <laughs> that is proof. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, he's a current professor. He's a retired Israeli general, Chaim Eshed. He said that the state of Israel has made contact with aliens. He called up the Jerusalem Post, a right-wing newspaper, and told them that he wanted to have a chat about aliens, uh, that the aliens had been in contact with Israel and America, uh, but they had kept it a secret because humanity isn't ready. Uh, 
putting into question why he's telling us now, but apparently these aliens are the quote Galactic Federation, and they'd made they've made, they've been making contact for years, uh, but keeping themselves a secret to prevent hysteria. You know, Andy, with a story like this, sometimes life hands you lemonade, and you're kind of stuck for what to do with it. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell if I want this to be an elaborate hoax or a depressing truth. I I do know that. With it being called the Galactic Federation uh, and this whole idea of not being ready yet, Chaim Ashed may have been watching a little bit too much Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I know that I don't want it to be the thing that it mostly likely is, which is either severe mental illness or the elaborately self-indulgent delusion of an otherwise intelligent man with a small gap in his brain through which the liquid of reality has trickled over time. <laughs> but I, look, which would you prefer if it were real or if it were not real? Oh, real, definitely. I mean, I mean, this could be our this could be our way out of things, couldn't it? You know, it's, it's all this. You know, we're keeping guilt tripped as a species, and everything we're doing to ruin the planet. And if suddenly the aliens come along and destroy us, then ethically, we're we're off the hook, aren't we? I mean, if I can just chip in here, yes. As a holder of a US O one visa, which yes. is a stamp in my passport that clearly says I am an alien with extraordinary ability, <laughs> I feel. <laughs> I can speak from genuine experience here. Right. I mean, you look around. Firstly, aliens, not now. It's the worst possible year <laughs> for this huge news to break. And But then you do start to look around who are definitely aliens. And it seems pretty obvious to me. Michael Gove. Yeah. Uh, Mike Pence. Yeah. Michael Jordan. Right. Lots of Michaels. Yes. Michaels. Yeah. You've right. cracked the code. Okay. And then we look across time. Mick Jagger, obviously an alien. Michael Phelps, all those Olympic swimming medals. Right. Michael Bublé. And then if yeah. you listen again to that Christmas album that you're probably hearing in its entirety six times a day at the moment, you listen to He's Put Hidden Messages. In the winter we shall build a snowman. And when the snowman melts, underneath will be a, a ship to get us to the stars. It's, <laughs> in every single song. Right. There is an alien-based message. Right. I mean, uh, my take on this, the, the guy's name is Chaim Eshed, or Eshed, and my Jewish name was is Chaim, and I basically have an Eshed where I record the bugle. Have I like, accidentally just... My bullshit has manifested itself in an 87-year-old... Retired Israeli general. This is, I'm starting to. I'm starting to doubt myself now. Um, he said that cooperation agreements had been signed. That there are signed agreements between the species, between humans and, and the aliens, including. And he also said there's an underground base in the depths of Mars, where there are American astronauts and alien representatives. Negotiate ten quid says they have been getting it on. <laughs> I mean, you can't get much further from the the, the, the prying eyes of the neighbours than an underground base in the depths of Mars. Um, yeah, you look at Mars in the in the night sky and you think, yeah, Mars. <laughs> <laughs> have I ever got it on? I have two kids, Dave. No, two kids, you know that. in your each. I was going to ask in your each head. All right. Oh, right. And then I was imagining the sexy <laughs> e-shed on Mars where if the e you know what they say, if the e-shed is rocking, don't come knocking. 
Uh, but anyway, I think I think this is good. I think this is the world has needed this story, Alice, because we've had a lot of batshit crazy conspiracy theories this year about the virus, Sometimes about uh, the American election, about all kinds of things. Chess. It's, it's, yes, chess. Exactly. It's good to see conspiracy theories. Getting back to basics, you know, aliens are here and we're not being told. That's the kind of stuff that made conspiracy theories believable, popular, charming even in the first. This is a conspiracy theory we can all come together as a species and not believe in harmoniously, surely. Well, I mean, like, I feel like as a conspiracy theory, it is phase one of a conspiracy theory that ends up with everyone who believes in QAnon firing themselves into space. <laughs> <laughs> Sport news now, and uh, the Olympics is taking an interesting new direction. Breakdancing uh, is to become an Olympic sport. Uh, now, I, I think at some point in the past on the Bugle, we might even have suggested this as uh, a ridiculous <laughs> joke. Um, there are a few things that have come true that began... Like, I mean, it, well, <laughs> Exhibit 1 is currently sitting with his trousers around his ankles on the toilet in the White House, uh, raging against the dying of the light. Um, <laughs> uh, David, you are, of course, a huge uh, huge sport fan, and congratulations for taking that correct um, lifestyle choice. Um, what, what do you make of, of this? Is this, a, is this a good thing for the Olympic movement? I, I mean, is breakdancing a, a sport or not? Well, it's breaking news, is what it is. Right. It's quite right. literally. Yeah. Breakdancing... It will be in the Paris 2024 Olympics, regardless of what we say about it right now on the Bugle. But right. it marks the end of a campaign that apparently dates back to the 1908 London Olympics, right. when the sport was known as mechanical body syncopation. <laughs> it's an attempt by the IOC to appeal to a youth demographic. And it's interesting that they have spurned other potential youth events that may have appealed, such as vaping being melancholy and horny all of the time <laughs> and telling your parents to f*** off. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I think the, the fear for me is that when it becomes a metal sport, when breaking does, she makes love just like a woman, but she breaks like an Olympic <laughs> breakdance competitor. Uh, it will be prone to cheating and skullduggery that goes on in other sports. And cheats could include... I know it's something you love to do, wearing a suit of armor under your yeah. tracksuit to improve yeah. your robot. Yeah. Uh, living for a week in a chrysalis to visualize yourself into the role of caterpillar. <laughs> and I think the message is coming loud and clear from the IOC. And that is don't go breaking my heart, but do, <laughs> do go breaking. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that it's been chosen ahead of you know, other you know, more traditional sports like, like squash. You know, a traditional long-standing sport of breathtaking skill, craft, athleticism and drama. That's not not got a look in. Uh, and other sports that are part of the Olympics that are, you know, if you were choosing now something to get the kids involved, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I mean, like rowing, for example. I think rowing as a sport, uh, and I say this with the, the greatest of respect, is unbelievably f***ing dull. Uh, and I think humanity has pretty much explored all the possibilities of two, four, or eight tall, stringily muscular people sitting in a straight line, rowing in a straight line on a flat bit of water at the breathtaking speed of an old man on a bicycle. <laughs> I, I think you know, rowing, 
but, but rowing rowing's established in the and the Olympic it's, it's this bizarre combination now of these these sort of funky new things like speed climbing um uh, and you know competitive break dancing uh and it's it's i don't know it's, it seems to be well, struggling for its identity Andy, let's not forget some of the events that have come and gone yeah. from previous Olympics, such as horse long jump is my particular favorite. Yeah. Then town planning, right, which was part <laughs> of the arts, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Irish, uh, Ireland's lo- most long-standing Olympic medal is uh, our painter Jack B. Yates won the painting in, I think it was in thirty-two. And so I think, we are. I think it might have been in the twenties, David. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say because uh, I think we did a question on this. In oh, the really? Quiz earlier in the year, I think. Uh, cricket was briefly an Olympic sport, uh, and um, Team GB, reigning Olympic cricket champions. Um, I think it was 1900. Was the only time when uh, we beat France in the only match of the tournament. Both teams involving uh, English people. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the Olympics, early Olympics. I mean, it was all, you could any, you could pretty much just turn up, you know, say you're here for you know the like flower pointing, point at a flower, and you'd wander off with a medal. And uh, you know, I think maybe maybe this is sport getting back to those to, to its uh, to its early roots. Look, breakdancing makes way more sense to me than football, for example, because you don't have you know ninety percent of the people on the field pretending that they don't have arms. You know, breakdancing <laughs> break involves use of an acknowledgement of all your limbs, and for that, I think it deserves our respect. Uh, Alice, it should be noted here, does represent the lino industry, and <laughs> linoleum could do very well out of this with people buying four by four squares of it to do backspins. <laughs> Important. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Just time to tell you about a very exciting development in the history of broadcasting. Uh, a live Bugle Review of the Year show on the 30th of December. Uh, this is a ticketed event. You can uh, buy tickets uh, via the Bugle website, thebuglepodcast.com. And there is a ticket link there. I'm reliably informed by, uh, by Chris. That is correct, is it not? Click on the live link at the top of the page. Yes. Where you will also see information about a last post live show. There we go. And for that show on the 30th of December, featuring Alice, uh, Nish, Kumar and Nato Green, and a full review of this glorious, wonderful year <laughs> 2020, um, as it twitches its last. Uh, David, any, any shows that you'd like to alert our listeners to? I am going to record a live show in my basement this week and put it up on Gumroad, the website. So uh, check uh, my Twitter for information. There we go. That and sounds do so fake. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that after I've just plugged something. Yeah, I promise it's real. <laughs> I'm just delighting in the in the excrescence of the of the modern world. Uh, hopefully, we will have a um, uh, a special bugle next week uh, as well. Um, until then, we will play you out with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers. To join them, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Where, of course, you can also buy your tickets for the end of year review shows for the Lost Post and the Bugle. See you all there.
When having fish and chips, Ian Foster likes to use the chemical terms for salt and vinegar. It makes him feel like he is an evil genius about to poison someone as he says, I will sprinkle these foodstuffs with sodium chloride and ethanoic acid. He sometimes even uses the term monochloridium of sodor to make it sound even more Machiavellian. I should emphasize, however, that Ian is not in fact an evil genius. Numez Withersed has done some research and formulated a theory that tadpoles, the notorious proto-frogs, stay small because they simply don't have enough space in ponds. If we chucked a few tadpoles in the sea, theorises Numez, I reckon they'd grow massive. And what do massive tadpoles mean? Massive frogs, which have strategically crucial military applications, potentially. Austin Elmore believes that tardigrades are another species that we should be keeping a very close eye on. Look at the microscopic bastards, says Austin. They're tiny, but they look like they could evolute into something bloody terrifying within just a few thousand years if they put their understandably tiny minds to it. They could be like a cross between a rhinoceros, a tank, and some kind of cyborg mechanical slaying machine. You have been warned. Lisa Ward has written to the government where she lives, suggesting an initiative to reduce the amount of time people waste thinking about what coffee to order when in coffee shops. Sure, says Lisa, some people go straight in there, but others um and ah for up to maybe 15 seconds. It doesn't sound a lot, but I've added it up, and over the course of the next 300 years, it's going to cost the global economy $28 quadrillion, and I haven't even adjusted that for inflation, says Lisa. Thomas Domingo thinks it is a shame that we only have terracotta warriors left from the ancient Chinese hobby of building terracotta replicas of all staff members for presumably some kind of tax declaration purposes. One day, reckons Thomas, we'll discover a great big stash of terracotta back office staff as well, maybe some terracotta snooker referees and terracotta traffic wardens. And finally, Tom Longfield thinks the term Great Hair Day should be clamped down on forthwith. It's like in sport, complains Tom. Greatness is bandied around too easily these days. For me, a great sports star is someone who's in the top echelon of all time. So it should be with hair. Unless your hair is having one of the top two, maybe three hundred days in the history of human coiffuring, just rein it in and call it a good hair day. Surely that's enough. Here endeth this week's lies. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.